All right, well, good morning again, and I said happy epiphany, so let me now say happy new year. All right, let's try that again. Happy new year. All right, there we go. Try to get us a little bit awake this morning. Uh, if you're like me, though, you did kind of take stock. Uh, as a new year comes, you kind of look back on, you know, the, the year that was, and you, you look forward to the year that is to come, and so 2019... Um, big year in my family's life personally. My wife and I will both turn 40 this year. Uh, yeah, but we will. That's a big deal. Yeah. Black balloons, you know, over the hill. That My oldest will start high school this year. Um, we'll have a ninth grader, a seventh grader, fifth grader, and a first grader. So it's going to be a big year in my family's life just personally. And so on New Year's, we just kind of sat around the table and just kind of talked about, you know, this past year um, and just went around the table. You know, what is something that you're really glad that God did in your life this past year? What's something that you feel like, you know, you want to work on in the year to come that you want to ask God to do uh, in your life in 2019? And so kind of some New Year's resolutions, but if you're like me, a lot of times your New Year's resolutions will become more like prayer requests. Because, yes, you're resolving to do some things differently. You you are, but you're also asking God to do those things, you know, for Him to do those things. And what happens for me, at least, and I feel like it's probably the norm for a lot of us, our our prayer requests, our New Year's resolutions, very much are, are about either asking God to do something for us, or do something in us, right? And so we'll ask him to do things for us. God, I need you to help me in this situation. I need you to help me with this test that's coming up. I need you to help me with this job situation, this relationship uh, issue that's going on. I need you to work, you know, for me. I, I need you to work this out. I need you to handle this. And so we ask God to do things for us. And he absolutely does, right? I mean, first of all, he has already sent his son, Jesus, to to pay for our sins on the cross. And he's adopted us into his family if we are, you know, followers of him. And then he loves to hear our prayers and he answers those prayers. And so he does. He's always doing things for us. He's providing for us, guiding us, walking with us. So he absolutely does things for us. And then... You know, if you're maybe you ask him for some things to do some things for you coming up in 2019, but also you're asking for him to work in you in 2019. And so you're saying, Lord, change me. I've got an anger problem or change me. I, I have I have a bitterness issue. I have a jealousy issue. I have an unforgiveness issue or change me. I, I recognize that so often I am prone to point out the speck in someone else's eye and I, I have a plank in my own or change me. I need you to work in me, to make me new. Help me, you know, not be addicted to this. Help me to not run after this idol. Work in me. Change me. Do this in me. And so God answers that prayer. He loves to answer those sorts of prayers. He's always working for us. He's always working in us. But friends, he also wants to work through us. And I feel like probably, if you're like me, then that prayer request, that New Year's resolution, is a whole lot less. I ask him, work for me, work in me, but I don't ask as much, how do you want to work through me? 
But that's a question we all need to ask individually. How do you want to work through me? Because God wants to work through me in ways that he doesn't want to, you know, he's got specific things that he wants to work in my life that are different than how he wants to work in Randy's life. And he's got things in Randy's life that he wants to do, work through him to, to bless those in different ways than it is for Ken or Susan's life. And on and on and on. So what do you want to do through me individually this year? So I encourage you to ask that question. But we also want to ask that question corporately. What is it that God wants to do through? Absolutely want him to do things in us. Absolutely want him to do things for us. But what does he want to? God, what do you want to do through us as a congregation? Corporately. And when I think about that corporate component and what God has kind of done through us, you know, I think back over the years, there's kind of been a series of things that prior to the year, the Lord's laid on my heart and on the heart of the leadership of the church to accomplish. And so like 2013 and 14 was working through us to prepare to get a space of our own. 2015 was about preparing to plant a church and all that went into that and sending out 10 to 15% of our membership to that work. 2016 and 17 was about preparing for a massive shift in our leadership and in just the governance of our church. 2018 was implementing that and just kind of a uh, the beginning steps of a renewal and a recapturing of what biblical church membership looks like. And so as we come into 2019, we want to further those. Right? We want to deepen those things. We don't want to move away from them. We want to further them. We want to deepen them. And then we want to add to them. Not change. We want to add to them. And what we want to add to them is this. And if you're at the members meeting, we talked about this a little bit. A re-emphasis on evangelism and invitation. All right? A re-emphasis on evangelism, on invitation, on missions. That's what I think God wants to do through us corporately in 2019. To not move away from these other things, to deepen them, but to also emphasize evangelism and invitation. Because, I mean, that's part of the reason we exist as a church, right? We exist to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. And so this morning, what I want to do is just kind of remind us of all of that. How we are called to worship and enjoy God. And then as an outflow of that, we lead others to worship and enjoy God as well. And so to do that, let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, this is going to be on page 888 in the black hardback Bibles that are around you. So if you don't have your Bible here with you, then grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, you can take it home. It's our gift to you. If you're a guest, typically what we do is we walk through books of the Bible. Uh, So we're taking a little break right now. Uh, For the last several weeks, we've kind of taken a break. We'll continue to take that break next week, um, and then we'll jump back into our study through Second Samuel on the following week, January the 20th. We'll be in Second Samuel up through Easter, and we'll get to where Solomon dies, 
Um, and then we'll take a break in that, and we'll go through the book of Second Timothy up through the fall, and then next fall we'll finish up Second, uh, well, First and Second Kings. We'll finish that up. But today we got John chapter 4, and what we're going to find in John chapter 4, I mean, if you've got a background in the church at all, this is a fairly uh, familiar passage of Scripture. This is the woman at the well. And when you look at the woman in the well, what you see happen here is you're going, you'll, you'll, we're going to see God do things in her, right? And we're going to see God do things for her, but we're also going to see God do things through her. We're going to see her worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. So let me just read the story to us in its entirety real quick, and then we'll kind of make our way through it a little bit. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, and so he came down to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And sixth hour means like noon, okay? It's like noon. It's the middle of the day. It's lunchtime. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. 
And they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, right? He told, this is, what, this is her testimony right here. He told me that, oh, I'm just going to read it again. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the, the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And so like I said, we exist to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. And that's what we see this woman at the well do. Like at the beginning of this story, we find her having been married five times and currently she's exchanging sex for rent, right? It's what's going on. She's looking for acceptance. She's looking for fulfillment. She's looking for identity. And, and if you notice, if you look closely, think about what she's doing here. It's what we so often do. She's on her sixth man, right? So she's continuing to look for acceptance and fulfillment and satisfaction in things that already are not working. She's just continuing to look for fulfillment in things that already are leaving her dissatisfied. And so, you know, well, these five first guys, they were all losers. But this guy, this is the one. He's going to fulfill me. He's going to make me whole. And so you just see her desperation. This poor girl has been so beaten up by life that she's at the well in the middle of the day. Women didn't do that. That She's a social outcast. The culture has shunned her. The church folk are looking down upon her. And she's empty and she's lonely and she's willing to grab at anything to satisfy her thirst for purpose, for belonging, for satisfaction. And by doing that, she's actually killing herself because for so long, through five men, She has been drinking from the wrong metaphorical well. She's been drinking salt water, which is fatal if you drink it. Salt water is fatal if you drink enough of it. And that is what 
trying to fill the void in our heart with other things is. It's, it's drinking salt water. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about how all of us have eternity in our hearts. All right, that's the way it phrases it. And what it's talking about is like, we have this hole, we have this missing thing in our hearts that longs for the eternal, that longs for God. And God put it there on purpose to draw us to Him. But what we wind up doing so often is we try to fit a square peg into a round hole and make that be what satisfies us. So we try to fill that void, that emptiness, that and I need meaning, I need purpose, I need f- fulfillment, and we try to fill it with trinkets and toys and a thousand other God replacements. This thing here, this is what I need. I mean, was this not just Christmas if you have kids? Man, if I can just get this toy, if I can just get this phone, if I can just get this game, if I can, man, I'll be so happy. And you're like, next day, Need something else, right? Because sometimes we'll get this thing that we set our heart on. Man, if I can just get this job, if I could just get this, if I just get this car, if I could just get this house, if I could just get this. And then we get it, and man, we're happy for like a day. And then we bounce to something else that we set our affections on, that we set our heart on. It becomes an idol in our lives because we're still empty. And so it's like a treadmill that we get on, that just doesn't end. We never make any ground. You just keep running and running, but you still can't get there. You still haven't found that what will fulfill you. And that's the woman at the well, and that's us as well outside of Christ. She's been looking for identity. She's been looking for belongings, for satisfaction. Looking for more of what's already not working. And so she's on this treadmill. She's battered. She's beaten. She's empty. She's lost. And then in steps Jesus. And he says to her, and he says to us, I am living water. I fill the void. I will cause you to thirst no more. I'm what you've been looking for. I am eternal. I can fill the void. And all the salt water that you've been trying to fill your life with that's left you empty and broken and riddled in guilt and shame, all the salt water of thinking that you can, if I could just get a little bit more of what's already not working, that incessant treadmill, you can throw it away. Because I fill the void. I stop the treadmill. I fill the hole in your heart that's missing. And friends, when you trust Christ, there is a peace. And there is a contentment and a joy and an identity and a purpose that comes into your life and begins to grow. Okay? So I'm not saying that like you trust Christ and man, everything's perfect from then on. So we live in a broken world. So cancer's still going to come. Tragedy's still going to strike. You're going to get fired from your job. Things like this happen. But what I am talking about is a joy that's not based on circumstantial outcomes. The positive outcomes of your circumstances. It lining up the way you want. That your joy's not on that. And so if that doesn't happen, you're hopeless and joyless and depressed. But a joy that's not connected to that it's focused on christ and what he has done and because of that you can't lose it 
And because of that, then there's rest and there's satisfaction and there's a joy. And listen to me, that's worship. Worship's not just coming in here singing songs. When we say we want to worship and enjoy God, it's not like come sing songs and enjoy God. Worship is life. What you do, how you live, all of life is worship. And so worship, all right, and our joy, when we talk about enjoying God, these are not two separate things. Like so often we think, well, we, you know, I can live for God's glory or I can live for my joy, but I've got to pick one or the other. It's one or the other. No, it's not. In Christ, you get your cake and you get to eat it too. Because God, the way God created us is such a way that, that His glory is displayed through our joy in Him. Not His trinkets and toys. Him. And so it's like Piper's famous statement. God is most glorified in you. When you are most satisfied in Him. Think through that. God is most glorified, so he receives the greatest glory in you when you are most satisfied, satisfaction, joy in him. These things are meant to go together. They're not opposed. And so what this means is that God is actually like like we worship him by having joy in him. Which means he's not after begrudging submission. That's good news. Beat down, begrudging submit, submit to he's not after he's after love. Begrudging submission's not love. He's after us enjoying him, knowing him, being mesmerized by him, being amazed by him, having awe in him. And that leading us to a changed life, that, that, that pervading our thoughts and our, our emotions and that leading us in how we live our life. Recognizing that, like, like the woman at the well, just this great the graciousness of god the compassion of god the kindness of christ his patience his love his mercy and his glory and his power all the attributes of god you could think through all of that up against all of like us and our wickedness and our depravity our sinfulness, and then he knows all of it. He sees all of it. Every little God belittling action, thought, deed we've ever done. And that this God that we talk about with all this power and all this might and all this glory of his own volition chose. Like he didn't have to, he didn't owe us anything. He just chose to, out of kindness, come after us in Christ. If you aren't a Christian, I want to make sure you understand one thing that, that Christianity um, is all about. Christianity isn't fundamentally about what we as Christians do. 
That's not what it's about. Every other world religion is about what you do. You need to do this. You need to pray this many times. You need to, you need to uh, do these, this many prayers. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. All other world religions are about what you need to do. All right? Christianity is not summarized like all the other world religions by the word do. It's summarized by the word done. Okay? What Christ has done. That he lived a perfect sinless life that you didn't. He did that for you. You couldn't do it, so he came and did it. And that he died on the cross as a substitute payment for your sin. You deserve to be condemned for your sin, but Christ took your punishment for you. He did that. And then he rose again as a validation and proof that he is who he says he is. He does have the power to forgive. So all other world religions do. Christianity Done. And so when you think about your own life and your behavior and the things that you've been a part of, the things that you've done, God isn't in the heavens worried. You know, I didn't I didn't know that that was going to happen. I didn't see that coming. If I had known, I would not have sent Jesus to the cross. The thing that you need to remember, this, this is the reality that you need to hear. He knew and he still went. And when you will reflect on that and let that humble you in the best of ways and rest in that and bask in that, you'll begin to enjoy God, what he has done. And so let me just tell you, 2019, enjoy God, bask in him. Reflecting on him and what he has done in your life. Worship him by enjoying him. And then out of that, like the woman at the well here, out of the joy, the change, the forgiveness that we have, the freedom that we have, that we're not shackled to our sins anymore. We're not shackled to idols. We've been released from the treadmill. We're not on that anymore. Our, our purpose has been fulfilled. Eternity has been, the hole in our hearts has been filled. Out of that, then we live these changed lives with our eyes on Christ, mesmerized by Him. And then we tell others of the forgiveness and of the grace and of the life and of the peace and the joy that we found in Christ so that they might have that too. And so we do this out of love for our neighbor. And we do this out of love for God because he's worthy of worship. Someone's like, oh, I can't do that. I can't, I can't share. I can't go tell people about Jesus. I don't know enough stuff, Joe. I you, You've been to seminary. That's easy for you. But, but one, no, it's not. Two, yes, you can. And again, the woman at the well is super helpful here because she just totally destroys the myth that one day you'll get your life together, you'll get your stuff together, and then once that happens, then God will use you. She destroys that, that excuse. 
Because if that was true for her, she would need to first go back to her first husband, find those kids, fix that, then go to her second one, then go to her third one, then go to her fourth one, go to her fifth one, fix all of that. Then this guy that she's living with now, she needs to fix that. And then she needs to go out and she needs to find a place to live. She needs to get a job, get her life together, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop sleeping around, get all of these things checked off the list, then get into Bible studies, memorize some verses, go to seminary. Then after all that, maybe God could use her. No. As soon as she meets Jesus, she runs around telling everybody. As much as she knows. And she's still got some wonky theology. She, she immediately starts talking about, well, we're going to worship on this mountain. And this. But she tells people what she knows. That's evangelism. You tell people about Jesus. See, Success in evangelism isn't necessarily seeing people convert to Christianity. Now, that's what we want to see happen, right? We want to see God save people. We want to see that happen, but that's not how you define success in evangelism. Success in evangelism is doing it. That's success. Just doing it. So it's like UPS, Give some props to some UPS folks in here. UPS, their job, all right, their job is to see that a package is delivered successfully. They are not responsible for what the recipient of that package does, but they are responsible to see that that package is delivered properly. That's evangelism. It's not our job to worry what the recipient is going to do with the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit who saves, not our eloquence, not our well-rehearsed pleas or the way we say things. It's the Spirit who does that. Our job is to see that the package is delivered properly. And so as I heard, heard it put one time, Sharing the gospel is a, lot, is a lot like walking around in a thunderstorm and handing out lightning rods. You don't know when the lightning will strike or who it will strike. But you know that it will strike and you know what it will strike. The lightning rod of the gospel. And when it does, that person's lightning rod will be charged with the power of God, and he or she will believe. Like, this is why we can have confidence in evangelism, because God has people that he is going to save. He's marked out a people that he will draw to himself before the foundation of the earth, and they will hear his voice, Jesus tells us this, and they will follow him. And so be confident because it's not about your presentation. It's about Christ and his call. And so pass out those lightning rods. And listen, they're going to look a little bit different for all of us. For some of us, we could get started in evangelism by signing up to serve in the kids' ministry. For a couple of reasons. One, the children. They need to hear the gospel. They need to receive Christ, trust Christ for salvation. But then like worship care particularly is inherently evangelistic and helps the church to 
continue to grow. Because one of the keys to just coming in here and being able to hear the gospel, being able to hear God's word uh, read and sung and prayed and preached is to know that over there your kids are safe. Over there that your kids are protected. Over there that sanitary. Over there that there are people their own time who love them. Good ratios in classes. That is an evangelistic thing that you can do. So let me encourage you. One step in evangelism is to sign up for worship care. Because these lightning rods look different. For some of you, you may, you may be like, I, I could never, ever, ever like you know, share Christ with someone, but I am really, really good at having people over to my house and loving them. Friend, that's evangelism. Just talk a little bit about Jesus. Invite people to church. Because you know what happens when you invite people to church and they come? They come in here and what do they hear? The gospel. So invite people. Then go out to lunch and be like, what do you think? God will open doors. So these lightning rods, it's not a one size fits all, but there is that point in time when we are called to open our mouth and talk about the gospel. There's that long running quote that's asinine um, that's attributed to Francis of Assisi. Francis was a boss. I mean, he was a great guy. But if this is him, then this was a bad day at the office for Francis. The quote says, you know, um, in everything, preach the gospel. When necessary, use words. You have to use words to pray. I get what they're saying. Live your life before people so they can see Christ. But at some point, you have to open your mouth. No one gets saved by watching you live your life. Oh, wow, wow. I'm going to, Tim, I mean, I'm going to trust Christ. I don't know who Christ is. I don't know what he did. I don't know anything. But Tim says Jesus. And so I'm going to, that's not... Like, yes, I want to watch Tim's life and I want to see how he lives that. But at some point you have to explain the gospel. And so to help us as a church learn to share the gospel together, like as a, as a church, all right, to help, help us learn how to do this together as a church corporately, and maybe even reprogram, perhaps, and recalibrate maybe a little bit some things in our minds as it relates to evangelism. This, this week, we're going to be launching a total, like, whole church book study. Okay, so like the entire church as a small group book study for six weeks. And there's three steps to it, all right? So, step one, at the close of the service today, every family is going to receive a copy of this little red book by Max Stiles. It's called Evangelism, How the Whole Church Speaks of Jesus. Teeny tiny little book. There's like 100 pages inside. You can read this, okay? This is not a hard read. Small pages, big print. We can do this, all right? There's six chapters in there. So over the next six weeks, as a church, we're going to read one chapter per week. And to help us kind of almost have a due date a little bit, the due date is going to be Wednesday. And the way we're going to kind of have a due date is on Wednesday at lunchtime, 
I'm going to come in here, I'm going to set my phone up, and we are going to have a Facebook Live conversation about the book. Some of you won't be able to do that, and that's fine. The main point is to read the book over the next six weeks, one chapter a week. But on Wednesday, so this coming Wednesday, I'll come in here, I'll set the little phone up, turn Facebook Live on, and I'll start talking about things that stood out to me from the preface, the introduction, chapter one. That's what I want you to read this between now and Wednesday. Preface, introduction, chapter one. And then Steve may chime in, you know, pop it in, it'll pop up, and we can all see that, and we're just going to have a big kind of virtual book study together, and we'll see how that goes. But the main point, step one, is over the next six weeks, we read this. So this week, January the 9th, preface, introduction, chapter one. Next week, Wednesday, January the 16th, we'll do chapter two. January 23rd, chapter three. January 30th, chapter 4, February 6th, chapter 5, February 13th, chapter 6. All right? And this book's going to lean on us a little bit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge a couple of things, perhaps, in your understanding of evangelism and help recalibrate, perhaps, reprogram a little bit and maybe deprogram some bad habits or wrong thinking. But step one, reading this book, all right, over the next six weeks. Step two, then is Wednesday night, February the 20th, okay? So six weeks, we finish this Wednesday, February the 13th. Step two is Wednesday night, February the 20th. I want this to be like the biggest Wednesday night gathering we've ever had. I'd love to see this sort of crowd to the point that I need to stand up here and not on the floor, okay? Big night that night. And what we're going to do that night is just some very specific, like evangelism training, And not some used cars, salesman, pushy, you know, like memorized spiel. No one feels loved with a used car salesman, right? Please don't do that. But just how to, like, in love, with patience, engage people with the message of Christ over a period of time. Reading through the Gospel of Mark and talking about the basics of Christianity and just laying it out there for folks. So it's going to be February the 20th. I'll explain more details about that, but February the 20th. Mark that on your calendars right now. Wednesday night, February the 20th. That Wednesday night discipleship, I'm going to be here. We're going to to eat, we're going to fellowship, and we're going to go through evangelism training that night. So step one, the book. Step two, February 20th, Wednesday night evangelism training. And then step three is to commit and to engage the elders so that we can pray for you and then do it. All right, it's to commit, I am going to share Christ. I'm going to work through this um, reading the Gospel of Mark and kind of what we talked about during, you know, th- during this. I'm going to give you eight weeks. And then on April the 17th, that's a Wednesday night, we'll come back in here and we will share testimonies and we'll talk about how it went. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. If multiple people will do this, multiple people will come to Christ. I mean, Jesus wants to save people. The church is his vehicle by which he does that. And so if you do that, he will do that. And so let's be UPS and let's deliver the message. 
and watch him work for the glory of God and the good of those around us. Because again, he doesn't just want to work in you this year. He's going to work in you, but he doesn't just want to work in you. And he doesn't want to work just for you. He is going to do that. But friends, he also wants to work through you. And so let's grab these books. Let's be devoted to, to, to read them over the next six weeks. Let's gather again on Wednesday night, the 20th. Go through some evangelism training. Then let's commit. Let's engage the elders so that we can pray over you and for you during the next eight weeks as you try to share Christ in a you know, period of time with someone. One person. So go ahead and be praying about who that is. And you're like, well, you ask somebody and they don't want to they don't want to learn anything about Christianity. Well, you ask somebody else and you ask somebody else. We'll figure all that out. But that's what we're going to be doing. So pick up these books today and read till, you know, introduction, preface, chapter one. And we'll talk about it on Wednesday because God didn't want to work just in us and just for us, but he also wants to work through us. But then maybe you're in here today and you're not a Christian, and, you know, we're talking about all of this, you're hearing us talk about all this stuff, and you're wondering, you know, well, what does this mean for me? Well, one, this helps you understand that as Christians, we are called to share our faith with you. And so if you have a friend who is a Christian, they've never shared their faith with you, I, I'm sorry. I apologize. They should. We should. But then maybe you say, well, why? why? Why do you have to share your faith with me? Why, like, just, you believe that? No, believe what I want to believe. Well, because we love you, that's why. Because we love you, because we want what's best for you, and we want you to believe because it's the truth. There is a God in, like, over everything. He made everything. And we will give an account to him someday. And we're all sinners and none of us have bargaining chips with God, the one who owns everything, created everything. We, have no, we bring no, nothing to barter with. But he's gracious and he's loving and he's kind and he sent Jesus to rescue all sinners who would repent and believe. And so if you're not a Christian in here, we want you to become one. Right? No bait and switch here. This is what we want. And we're going to love you if you don't. We're still going to love you. That's not going to change love for you, but we want you to because we love you. And so I implore you, even now, if you don't know Christ, to trust him. He's merciful. He's kind. He's gracious. He fills the void. The purpose, the meaning, the fulfillment, the satisfaction. He fills the void. You, you, you are released from the treadmill. And so I implore you to do that. And then follow him. Follow him. And part of, you know, sharing and then, and then, you know, starting to follow Jesus, part of following him is through participation in the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to do here in just a minute. And so those of you who are going to serve, you'll go ahead and make your way down here. Part of, the, part of continuing on, part of, come on guys, part of following Christ is, con, is, is this continuation of following him. And that's part of what the Lord's Supper represents. It's, it's, a, 
It's saying, I am going to continue on following Christ. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to continue on. And so when you look at 1 Corinthians 11, for for example, it talks about, I'll just read it. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we remember Jesus. We remember his sacrifice. He was broken and his blood poured out for our sins so that we could be forgiven. We are remembering that through the Lord's Supper. But also, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're proclaiming. It's a saying, I'm continuing on as a Christian as I participate in the Lord's Supper. I'm continuing on. And particularly, if you're a member of this church, I'm continuing on as a covenant member here. I'm going to continue on. I'm going to continue fulfilling my covenant commitments to one another. And so the Lord's Supper has a past action. It's remembrance of what Christ has done. It has a present action. I mean, it's a sensory experience. We physically hold and taste and swallow bread and juice. And then it has a future. We're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Because he will come again. And we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb. There will be no more Lord's Supper. We'll have one awesome feast. And we will be with Christ continually. New heavens and new earth. Forever and ever and ever. And so I'm going to pray. And then when I finish praying, these guys will distribute the elements. If you are a Christian then feel free to participate. This is, as I say often, this is the Lord's table, not just Providence's table. So if you are a believer in Christ, you've repented and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior and are, in, and are a member of another church in good standing, then we would encourage you to take. If you're not yet a Christian, or maybe you are, but you are not in good standing at your church, then we encourage you to let the plate pass you by because this is a holy thing. If I continued reading in 1 Corinthians, it would, it would warn of taking the Lord's Supper improperly. So let me implore you on that. But as this plate comes, if you will grab the juice and the bread and hold on to it, we'll take it all together at the end. But after you receive it, or if you're at the back and you're waiting on it for a while, reflect on 2018. Reflect on what God did in your life. Reflect on the things that maybe you, you, they didn't turn out the way you wanted them to in 2018. Or maybe they didn't turn out the way God wanted them to. And resolve in 2019 to see and ask him to work in you and to work for you in those things. But also to work through you. To reach your neighbors, your co-workers, people you are friends with, with the gospel, that they may know the forgiveness and the freedom and the love and the joy of Christ like you do. Let's pray and these guys will distribute. Lord God, I do pray that that would be true. 
that even as we proclaim in here in this moment by taking of the bread and the cup, that we would leave here and proclaim with our words that Christ is alive, that Jesus is gracious, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then no one comes to the Father except through Him. But anyone can come to the Father through Him. And Jesus, we pray with great thanksgiving. Just, we just thank You and praise You for seeking those of us in this room who have trusted you for seeking us out. We love you because you first loved us. You came after us. We weren't just sinking deep in sin. We were dead on the bottom of the ocean. And you swam down and breathed new life into us and raised us up. Humble us with your goodness and your salvation and your might and your provision. And open our eyes to what you would want to do through us in 2019 as we take the bread and the cup in Jesus' name.